better now though, because like this year, at least on the same schedule, because you know when you have like a middle or high school or an elementary kid, then it's like all oh, just all jumbled up. And, Planning and zoning will begin in approximately 45 seconds, Metro TV.
Good afternoon and welcome to Planning and Zoning Committee. I'm Councilwoman Madonna Chair. I'm joined by my Vice Chair, Councilman Scott Reed. I'm also joined by committee members, Councilwoman Jennifer Chappell, Councilwoman Betsy Rui, Councilman um, Khalil Batshon, um, and we also are joined by Councilman Piagentini, who does, who does have an item on our agenda. Um, these the following items will be held today and not heard on the agenda. They're items number one, two, eight, nine, and 11, with the possibility of number three being held. Yes, if you are a council member, you must keep your, um, and you're virtually, you must have your camera on at all times. Um, could whoever is TB identify themselves, please? We're joined by Councilman Baker. I can't think of. Also, this meeting is being held pursuant to KRS 61.826 and Council Rule 5A. Councilman Piagentini, would you like us to hear your legislation first? Since if, if you don't mind, Madam Chair, that'd be great. Thank, Thank you. you. Let me. We're going to go to item number 10 uh, for those who were um, may want, need to help address this it's a resolution requesting the planning commission review the louisville metro land development code ldc relating to notices looking for a motion motion read second properly moved by councilman reed second by councilman batshon we are ready for discussion and i will, chair will recognize Councilman uh, Anthony Piagentini. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, so colleagues, this is a resolution uh, calling for the Planning Commission to look at uh, really two things to add to the Land Development Code around notifications. Uh, so this came up related to at least one, but I would argue I've got uh, evidence of having this issue with, with multiple cases, uh, or at least citywide, that number one, um, with the amount of suburban cities that we have, uh, one of the issues, if you will, it's not an issue, it's just one of the truth, one of the facts related to how we notify residents is we notify the resident, we don't notify suburban cities when a resident is affected by a development. Uh, so, for example, if you have a, uh, a development that requires a tier one notification, and one of those tier one notification residences are inside a suburban city, that resident will receive the notification, the suburban city is just unaware, right? Uh, or they don't receive a notification. They could sign up for the listserv, like the members of the general public, but they don't get a notification. One, number one in section one here asks that the planning commission uh, explore providing suburban cities 
providing notice to suburban cities when a property within their jurisdiction is entitled to notice of a planning and zoning matter. I want to be super clear, this does not notify everybody in the suburban city, it just notifies whatever is listed as their city hall, right? It, you know, their mayor or their clerk's office. Uh, so that's number one, right? Just to provide additional visibility to that suburban city. In working with uh, Develop Louisville, this didn't seem, uh, this was something that was operationally uh, doable. Uh, they could, of course, speak for themselves. I don't want to misrepresent their comments to me, but they indicated this was a possibility because uh, the good news is suburban cities have very clear delineated lines. So when the maps are constructed, uh, it, these they can determine whether or not residents are within those suburban cities. Uh, as a matter of note, before I get to two, I did also ask that we attempt to do this with uh, HOAs or homeowners associations. Uh, the lines are unclear related to HOAs, number one. And number two, we really don't have or require HOAs to have this regimented database of registrations of who's liable and et cetera. So um, we'll encourage HOAs to continue to use the listserv process, but since the suburban cities are other government agencies that are planning and zoning has, uh, it may impact in some cases, we want them to be notified. Number two, uh, you'll notice that there is an amendment and I'm going to ask if a colleague of mine uh, from on this committee could propose all the amendments I have here, I'll read one here and then I'll clarify one that's above uh, that links to this. But in talking with Develop Louisville about number two, the issue here uh, to describe the problem is that right now tier one notifications which are sent out by the developer are done in any one of a myriad of ways, right? Theoretically, an infinite number of ways. The developer has the mailing list, they have the mailer, they can go, that developer could have somebody do it on their behalf, for example, their attorney, uh, that the developer and or the attorney could go to any post office theoretically in the city, it doesn't even have to be in the city, uh, and hand it to them and then they process it. Uh, we have seen examples of where that process has not been as reliable as it could be. And frankly, there's a lot of variability in what I just described. Again, an infinite number of developers, an infinite number of proxies on behalf of those developers, such as attorneys, and they could hand those off to an infinite number of post offices, et cetera. What I was originally asking for was saying something more specific, and this is what's being amended, which is to have planning and design services sort of develop Louisville do this themselves. Still have the developers pay for it, so not changing the cost structure to the city. Uh, but having one organization do it and bring it to one post office, a much more regimented process to take out the variability that I was just describing. Um, what the recommendation that came back from Develop Louisville was this amended language which creates still the similar intent which is looking at a less variable and a more centralized process but not specifically saying it has to be Develop Louisville, giving the planning commission the opportunity to look at one of multiple scenarios and ideas that can create a way to send these notifications out in a more regimented manner as opposed to just, again, these sort of infinite number of scenarios uh, that I described earlier. So the amended language would read, if it's adopted, procedures for sending mailed notices to better ensure notices are provided to the United States Postal Service for timely delivering. The Planning Commission should specifically review the responsible party for mailing the notices. I do want to say, that I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that part of the problem with some of these notifications hitting the actual recipients has everything to do with the post office. 
Uh, I brought this up with Congressman McGarvey when he came and visited. He visited the Republican caucus, and I said, you know, it'd be great. Uh, you've been there a month. Can you fix the post office? Uh, he thanked me for giving a very low ask for his uh, initial uh, term in, in uh, Congress. But, um, but I do know that's an issue. And as a specific example, my I have twin daughters. They just got, uh, they were supposed to receive their acceptance packets to a local high school. They were mailed out from the same place on the same day going to the same address. We received one package, the other was returned to sender a week later, okay? All because of the post office, okay? Now, I'm not here to beat up on the post office, they're not here to defend themselves, but until we get more reliability there, again, what we're trying to do is reduce variability in this process. It's just a way to potentially reduce error. Um, so again, I, the only other amendment in here that again, I'll ask if somebody can make a motion to adopt these amendments under the second whereas clause, again, recommended by the administration and working with them on this language, um, we added the words and procedures. So it says in the existing notice requirements and procedures contained in land development code to align with the intent on number two, uh, which we have the substitute language here. So with that said, I'd Glad to answer any questions, and I'd ask if somebody could make a motion and, and, and vote on the amended version. Motion. Are the, I've got people that have come in. Are, are you, is this questions on the amendment or on the thing as a whole? Okay. Well, let's do the amendment then. It was properly moved by Councilman Bachon, and who seconded it? Councilman Rui. Okay. All those in favor of the amendments signify by saying aye. 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 Those opposed by like sign, hearing none, the amendment passes, and the chair will recognize Councilman Rui. Okay. My question doesn't necessarily pertain to what you've got in there, but precisely who are the notices supposed to be sent to? If I can respond, Madam Chair. So uh, there's a definition, and I would actually defer to develop Louisville to specifically define it. But for example, the most common are what's referred to as tier one notification. So uh, the land development code has a definition of if you have a property at X address location parcel, right? If, there, if, if this is where, the, um, where the, develop, the land that's going to be, and it's not just rezoning, it could be rezoning, could be a design change, just anything that triggers a notification. There's a list of criteria that trigger a notification. There's this tier one notification, which essentially take that spot and draw a radius circle. And if your property is inside that circle, you rate to be notified uh, via mailer that uh, that this is happening. And then where and it's it's usually in the form of some type of postcard style mailing. It tells you where the hearing is going to be held, if any, your public comment and this type of thing. But uh, I don't know. Madam Chair could recognize Jeff maybe to give a more specific answer. Just one second because I failed to um, say for the record that Councilman Engel actually entered the room as soon as Councilman Piagentini started talking. So he's been here for a few minutes. Council, go ahead. Thank you, Chair. Uh, Jeff O'Brien, Chief of Louisville Ford. Councilman, to your question, uh, the Councilman is right. We do send notifications depending on the type of applications being made to the tier one property owners, which are the immediately budding. And then tier two as uh, the uh, property owners abutting the uh, first tier property owners. <clears throat> and then the, uh, in, uh, there was an amendment made last year. We also notify tenants 
um, of uh, uh, rental units as well. So we go to property owners and tenants. Uh, under the proposal that Councilman Piagentini has put forward, we are not proposing who gets notified. It's just that the how the notifications get sent out. Uh, in terms of the suburban cities, we would notify, uh, we are discussing internally who exactly we would notify, but I believe we settled on uh, uh, city clerks. Is that correct? Yeah. We'll be, work we'll be notifying the, the city clerks of the... Um, of the uh, suburban cities. You might want to just stick there for just a second, okay. just in case. Councilman, Councilwoman Chapel. I was just hoping that you could speak a little bit more on item three and that uh, fee schedule, especially if there's questions as to how many people you know, would show up to a meeting and be included in the record and need to be noticed. So again, this is part of the procedures that we are discussing. Right now, the uh, applicant pays for all of the mailing costs. So none of that cost is shifted to Metro government. Um, it, the, again, uh, from my conversations with Councilman Piagentini, there's a discussion about how those notices get mailed and who actually does the mailing. I think what the intention of the legislation is is that we don't shift the cost cost burden of that mailing from the applicant to the city and so that's that is the that's I think that's just clarification that in the past the city had pay, paid for those um, though the notification had gone through the city's mailing system um, which I will also say is not great uh, no offense to our folks working in the mail room they're working very hard but it was in these cases these notifications have to be precisely mailed and received in a, to meet the, the legal standards so um, what we want to do is we make sure we don't shift that cost, which can be significant, especially if we have large apartment complexes that need to be notified. We don't want to shift that burden to the taxpayers. If I could, Madam Chairwoman. Um, just to add, yes, the intention was, uh, so first of all, the cost is being borne already uh, by the developer, right? Arguably, somebody, either the developer themselves via their time or an attorney on behalf of the developer is, is going and mailing this, right? So they're already procedurally, right, the process that they're doing right now has some cost to it. It could be in labor or time, uh, but the developer is currently bearing it. And, and the point was, the purpose of this is to consolidate it, not to shift cost burden, right? So that really number three was added to make sure that as we discuss procedure, we are also making sure we understand what if any cost is attributable to that so that we're not we're just adding to the budget, right? We're not just adding to uh, the city's cost structure. Uh, but I would say for the developers out there um, who may look at this and be like, oh God, here's another fee. One way or the other, developers are paying for this right now. They're just paying for it via time or via contracted labor through an attorney's office or something like that. So it's just making sure that if we shift if we shift this in some way procedurally, right, we're taking that into account. Thank you. Any more questions? Uh, Madam Chair, if I might jump in just real quick. Yes, go ahead. Uh, Travis Feaster, Assistant County Attorney. I just noticed a typo of my own uh, creation in, in uh, uh, Section 1, Part 3. Um, at the end there, it should say uh, paid by the applicants in each matter, not he applicants, just missed the T. So as a technical correction, if the clerk could note that, that would be great. And the chair will consider that technical in nature. <laughs> Thank you. Any other questions? Seeing none, um, this is a resolution calling for a voice vote. Therefore, all, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Those opposed by like sign. 
Hearing none, and since it was amended, it will go to old business at our next council meeting. Um, and I need to ask Councilman Baker, did you want to hear your other, I know we were holding two of your items. Did Were you ready to hear your um, legislation number three, which is related to zoning on South Clay Street, or do we need to hold that too? No, we can, we can hear South Clay. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Going back to item number three, which is an ordinance related to the zoning of property located at 1239 South Clay Street containing approximately 0.0978 acres and being in Little Metro, case number 22, zone 0114. Motion to approve. Second. Property moved by Councilman Engel and seconded by Councilman Batchon. We're ready for discussion. Presentation. Here we go. Uh, this is a planning commission docket number 22, zone 114. It's for 1239 South Clay Street. Uh, the property is located at 1239 South Clay Street. It's located in Metro Council District 6. Uh, this is an outline of the property. Uh, as you can see, it's a, a, a vacant parcel. The uh, structure that used to exist on the site is no longer there. Uh, the applicant is proposing uh, residential use on the property. Um, this is the uh, existing zoning in the area. The, uh, the, the area uh, where residential development is, you have R6. Uh, across the street in the park is currently zoned R4, uh, R1, excuse me. Uh, and the uh, applicant's proposing to change the zoning to UN, which is urban neighborhood uh, zoning. Uh, so that request, again, is to uh, change the zoning from R6 multifamily residential to UN urban neighborhood. Uh, the site is vacant. Uh, the applicant's proposing uh, to uh, subdivide, subdivide the lot into two lots uh, and then construct a, a semi-detached single-family units uh, on the parcel. Uh, the variant, there, there was a variance request that was required for the private yard area. Uh, that was heard by the Planning Commission, uh, and then parking would come off of the alley. Uh, so this is a, a, a blown-up uh, version of the development plan that was provided with the application. Uh, so you can see the uh, applicant's proposing to divide the parcel in half, uh, the structure that would be built uh, would have the property line going through the middle so that you'd have uh, one of the units on one lot and another unit on the other. Uh, the, there would be parking coming off of the uh, rear alley, uh, and then there's a couple of uh, on-street spots uh, where they would also have some uh, parking availability. Uh, this is a, a view of the site from South Clay Street. Uh, so again, you can kind of see the, uh, the, the hole there between the two uh, existing houses that are there. And these are some uh, site photos of the surrounding areas, again, residential in nature, uh, with the uh, park located across the street. Uh, the applicant conducted their neighborhood meeting on June 14, 2022. Land Development and Transportation Committee had their meeting on January 12, 2023. Uh, and then the Planning Commission held their public hearing on February 2, 2023. No one spoke in opposition to this request. Uh, and the Planning Commission's motion was to approve the change in zoning from R6 uh, to a UN, or recommend to change this, the, that from R6 to UN. Uh, that motion passed by a vote of 8 to 0. And that's all that I have. Unless you have any questions for me. This kind of reminds me of the discussion that Camp, uh, Director Lou had with us last week, kind of like the missing type of housing that the city of Louisville desperately needs. So I'm really glad to see this. And this is in uh, Councilman Baker's district, and then I will uh, look uh, call on Councilman Batchon next. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so to your point, uh, Madam Chair, um, this is a, uh, a, de a development that's coming to District 6 that uh, we welcome, again, as you saw, that the Planning and Zoning 
committee uh, voted unanimously. So I encourage uh, my fellow members um, to look at this property and to encourage you uh, to pass this through the zoning uh, committee. Uh, there were, I also talked to the Neighborhood Association, they were for the development as well. And so um, there, there were no reservations on the type of developments. And so again, to your point, these are the type of uh, things that we are trying to do and can want to continue to do in District 6. So I just ask that you consider that and take in your, uh, your vote. Thank you. Councilman Batshong. Yeah, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, <clears throat> thanks, Philip. Uh, Councilman Philip Baker. Um, so I have some questions. It seems like that's a pretty tight squeeze for two residential families there. Um, you know, it's right under an acre. So is there any visuals of what that, the renderings of what that will look like and how it's going to be possibly placed? Um, just, just seems a little tight. Um, and then my second part of my question is, um, obviously I'm new to the planning and zoning and I'm still trying to get my feet wet here. What benefit does it do to the developer and or the neighborhood if you're moving it from R6 to urban urban um, zone? Uh, they, they did not have any renderings, uh, but I think if, if like if you look at the picture here, like structurally it's going to be one structure and, and, and really there will be two front doors, but other than that, I, mean, I, I don't think that uh, like from a um, like, a, like a, a visual, like the size standpoint, it's not going to necessarily stand out from the other structures on the site because uh, it, it's the the lot, the existing lot as it is, is is very, is similar in size to all the other lots on the properties. You won't obviously you won't see the the property line that's being divided in the middle. Um, the UN district, what it allows is it it allows the creation of the smaller lots so that you're taking this existing lot, you're splitting it in half. Uh, that that would not be permitted in the existing uh, zoning district, and then um, and, and then the UN also you have the permissions to have the the, the shared wall structure. Uh, it, it you know there was the variance for the uh, for the the common wall, but uh, overall the UN would be more permissive of, of this type of development uh, and allow the two units versus uh, the R six, which would only permit the one unit on the site. Will there be um, requirements as far as like any type of binding elements in regards to this development? Um, what specific types of firewalls are going to put between both structures? Um, things of that nature. Right. Yes. Yeah. So since there is a a building uh, a, a, or a, a a property line running through the building, there would they would have to meet uh, all the Kentucky Building Code requirements for uh, for fire separation between the two properties. Uh, so you would have an enhanced firewall. Uh, between the two units more so than you would if you were just thinking of a, uh, you know, just a, a normal unit that's on the property. Uh, they, they are showing five-foot setbacks on the uh, on the side yard, uh, so there would be, um, you know, they'd have to meet building code there as well uh, on the side yard so that uh, you know, if there was a, a situation where you had a fire, then uh, since they were, they're five feet from there, they, they would have limitations on, like, the amount of openings that they could have on the property. Uh, so we do have that, uh, and then there, um, just the way the land development code works, they, like we would look at the, um, uh, like from an infill standpoint in terms of like the design of the structure, they, you know, we would look at that uh, with the, uh, the adjoining properties. Do you have anything you want to add, Emily? Um, yes. Um, actually, it currently zoned multifamily R6. They are by right could have two units right now. 
the property owner would like to put uh, a line in there so they can sell that to owner occupied. So they technically can have exactly the same building on one lot. By rezoning, they are allowed to create two lots in the middle, which will look exactly the same, but they can sell it to two property owners instead of one property owner. Kind of like a condo. It's a duplex, so each person will own its own site. They're sharing a common wall. Who would be responsible for maintaining that if one rented and one owned? Who would maintain the property in that facet? The property owner uh, will be uh, responsible for the maintaining of the property. I mean, this was intended for owner-occupied, uh, this particular property. Thank you. Councilwoman Chapel. I was just going to say that this is a neighborhood that has a lot of shotgun houses in it. Um, and I, I live in one of the really long and skinny and I can understand for a lot of people that it might look like a very odd structure who would want to live in that. But I'm glad to see that it is conforming to what the neighborhood already looks like. And um, also I think we hear um, family home and I think that these are really attractive structures for people that are single or couples or people that don't want to have a large footprint and want to have an urban existence. So I just wanted to say that I completely understand like who would want to live in these, but I think that they are really attractive. And even though I would like to see a, a backyard with a wonderful uh, tree, um, it is nice that there is parking, even though there is ample parking since it is across the street. So I did just want to say that. Councilman Baker. Uh, to uh, Councilwoman uh, Chapel's point, um, and I probably should have withdrew my request to speak, however, same thing. Uh, it keeps the aesthetic uh, value from the outside. So again, when you look at it, it still would be look as one structure. And then when you talk about the aesthetic uh, value of the entire neighborhood, a lot of shotgun homes, it, it, it looks the uh, it would look the uh, same. Um, it just gives the the owner, as Director Lou, just a little more flexibility on how they could use that with that zoning, how they could use that property. But those are the type of um, when addressing affordable housing and things like that, those are the type of thing uh, developments that we want to see in District Six, and so that's why I strongly encourage um, your vote. I think it's a great addition to. I mean, I would like to have some uh, duplexes out in my area of town because I think mm -hmm. it, it gives people more choice of how they want to live. I mean. Not all of us want to cut grass anymore, <laughs> especially when you get my age. It's like, do I have to do this again? Uh, Councilman Batson. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you, Councilman Chapel and Council, uh, Councilman Baker. For the record, I am supportive of the development 100%, right? My question, I guess, to the point is, let's use this as an example. Let's say I'm the developer, I'm the builder, et cetera, right? Let's say I today rent Jennifer one side of it, and then later tomorrow, Councilman Baker, you purchase the other side. As the landlord, I still own the, the structure, correct, that Jennifer is renting that is attached to your structure that you own. Who is responsible, let's say the roof leaks? Who is responsible, let's say the water pipes bust and it's in between both spaces. That is my, I guess, my biggest concern in, in how that will be maintained. Because at the end of the day, let's say it doesn't get fixed by 
Councilman Baker, who owns Councilwoman Chapel, gets frustrated and moves out. Now you have a vacant space. Uh, there may be an agreement in that tenant agreement, I don't know, that talks about maintenance of the yard or maintenance of the building, but ultimately, from a metro standpoint, the, the, if something's going wrong on the site, the first person we reach out to is the property owner because they are ultimately responsible for maintenance. And, and I appreciate that, but maybe Travis might be able to jump in on this. Is that some type of wording that we can put into request of these, these I, I, again, first and foremost, tremendously appreciate the development, the thought, the opportunity, and the, the growth and what we're moving towards, but my, my concerns are, I don't want us as a city as a whole to fall back into the situation where we are and look at the, the structures surrounding this, right? Let's, let's continue to thrive and move forward. Is there any wording um, with the county attorney's office that we can put into this UN zoning or this restructure of the zoning or zoning change that says who is gonna be fully responsible for maintaining that and if they are, aren't, if it is not maintained, what what the repercussions are? Uh, Travis Feaster, Assistant County Attorney. Thank you, Councilman. Um, so a, a couple comments here. One, just to go back a little bit to what Brian just said. If this structure were in significant disrepair and it were to be reported to Metro through 311 or, or what have you, um, and it's because you know the the roof caved in, for example, and it's across both structures, um, code enforcement or, or who have you would notify. Assuming the lots are owned by two different people at that point, both owners, um, and I think from our perspective, we would continue to you know uh, communicate with and if necessary enforce against both those owners for the you know structure they're responsible for. Um, now, if one owner really is going to hire a roofer and come out and construct up to exactly the property line or repair only his half, maybe we can get into the sort of metrics of that. But I, I think it's probably an unlikely situation. Um, I we get a little bit into sort of private property law issues here. My suspicion, and admittedly I haven't seen an exact case like this, and obviously I operate in the government arena, but my suspicion is that if roof were to cave in and owner of lot one were to repair entire structure, he would then have a claim against owner of lot two and say, hey, you need to pay me for the costs of jointly repairing the structure. And if you won't, then I'll you know, take you to court and seek damages. As to what I spent, uh, you know, one, approximately one half, assuming the damage was roughly equal, sorry. Um, so I think all those metrics sort of exist. There's nothing we need to, to necessarily add in this case to do that. And I would caution us a little bit against getting too much into the weeds of trying to regulate those sort of private agreements. Um, I know that when you referred to the condo situation earlier, and um, you know this is not proposed to be a condominium regime, um, but there is some pretty strong state law on condos generally. Um, and we might be able to look at some sort of broader creation in the LDC to apply to townhome type buildings that don't necessarily you know, fall under that condo umbrella. Um, but I think it'd be really hard to, to do a sort of one-off on this case to try to figure out all the different metrics of what the responsibilities would be and where they'd lie and enforcement mechanisms. There's just a lot going on there. Um, so this is a topic you'd like to pursue. I'd be happy to, to follow up with you. Um, but I think it'd be really tough to just kind of apply it to this case within the 90 days that we have. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, Travis, um, I just wanted to play devil's advocate in that role. I, I'm supportive of this development, and I want to see things move forward. I just want to make sure that we have this on our radar of what could or possibly may happen in a situation. So I'm trying to think forward thinking here.
Councilman Reed, uh, if you uh, want to join in on something, if because my phone keeps uh, cutting off, Can, you can see. Okay, okay, thank you. I just want to make sure I don't miss you. Okay, um, no one else is in the queue, so I take that as we're ready to uh, open the voting for a vote on this. Vice Chair Reed. Yes. Without objection, voting is closing. There are seven yes votes, and this will go to old business at our next council meeting. Thank you. Item number four, an ordinance relating to the zoning of property located at 4500 South Hurstbourne Parkway containing approximately 0 0.92 acres and being in Little Metro, case number 22, zone 0125. Motion read. Probably moved by Councilman Reed, second by Councilman Batshon. We're ready for discussion. Okay, this is Planning Commission docket number 22, zone 125 for Christian Brothers Automotive. Uh, the property is located at 4500 South Hurstbourne Parkway, located Metro Council District 26. Uh, so the uh, area photo here, uh, so this is the Myers. It's located at, um, uh, along South, South Hurstbourne Parkway. Uh, so you can see the area in red is the approximate location of the, uh, the proposed site for this rezoning. Um, the area, um, the site is currently commercial and they are wishing to um, continue to do commercial operations on the site. Um, the uh, zoning in, on this site is C1. Uh, they are requesting a change in zoning to C2 to accommodate the proposed use. Uh, you can see that this, uh, this area, uh, you have commercial nodes uh, all along this part, portion. Uh, you have multifamily uh, residential located to the north and then you have uh, some mixed use to the, uh, to the west, multifamily to the east. Uh, so the request is to change the zoning from C1 to C2. Uh, the applicant is proposing to construct an automobile repair facility as a new outlot uh, within the existing Meyer Shopping Center uh, development. Uh, the approved uh, general development plan was originally approved under docket 939-94 at Stony Brook South, uh, and then that plan has since been amended a couple of times. Uh, buying element number three from the general plan prohibits automobile repair garages, among other uses within C2 areas of the general plan. Uh, and so the um, part of the request is again to amend the general plan uh, as well as the uh, development plan for the proposed use. Uh, so the uh, applicant is proposing uh, a, a nine bay uh, garage uh, or, or automobile repair uh, center uh, on the uh, site uh, that was outlined previously. So you have South Hurstbourne Parkway here. Uh, that northernmost entrance into the site is located um, along here so the, the uh, proposed use is up on the northern end of the site uh, the uh, the trees and stuff that you see here that's the um, uh, the buffer that is currently in place between the commercial development and the multifamily that's located to the north uh, these are some renderings that were provided by the applicant uh, with their application and presented at the planning commission hearing so that you can get an idea of the uh, scale and the uh, type of materials being proposed for this use uh, the applicant conducted their neighborhood meeting on August 22, 2022. The Land Development and Transportation Committee meeting was on January 12, 2023. Uh, and the uh, Planning Commission public hearing was on February 2, 2023. No one spoke in opposition. Uh, and the Planning Commission's motion was to recommend approval of the change in zoning from C1 to C2. Uh, that passed by a vote of 8 to 0. And that's all that I have unless there are any questions for me. This is in Councilman Brent Ackerson's district, and he has uh, sent me a text earlier that he is in support of, of this. Um, 
that rendering was an extremely nice rendering. And it's it's going to be automotive repair, but they won't be storing cars that they're repairing on the lot, I, I take it? Uh, right, yeah, they will not be storing any cars, and there was a binding element that was worked out as part of the Planning Commission uh, that like, talked about a limit for having cars being stored outside. Uh, the, there was a lot of discussion at Planning Commission about that, so. Just want to make sure it's on the record in public, so mm -hmm. thank you. Councilman, Councilwoman Chapel. I'm sorry. I was going to ask if we could add a binding element. Go ahead. What was the binding element? Um, just looking at the, so sorry. Took me a second to remember why I was gonna speak. That's why um, it took a second to come out. Um, if you look in the citizen comments, there's only one that's been submitted. And um, it is someone from the Greenhurst Condominium Homeowners Association. And they're requesting a binding element um, simply that Christian Brothers Automotive be required to follow the Louisville Metro Noise Ordinance regarding the hours for trash pickup outside of the Urban Services District. Um, they cited having issues with people collecting trash at 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. Um, so I would like to add in that binding element if possible. Maybe uh, here. <laughs> happy to speak to that, Travis Feaster, Assistant County Attorney. So I think that concern was actually already noted and uh, immortalized in uh, proposed binding element number six Trash collections did not occur before 6 a.m. or later than 10 p.m. in accordance with the noise ordinance. So fortunately, the Planning Commission heard you there, and that's already been done. Great work. Councilman Batchong. Um, yeah, so thank you, um, Madam Chair. My question is um, in regards to the binding element about storing cars and whatnot. So let's say that they've got an overload and the bays are full with the nine cars or let's say they even, even 12 cars in those bays and they've got five or six cars lined up for the next day. Let's say they have the tow truck drop them off and they've got flat tires or the, mo the motor went out on one or a transmission dropped or something. Where do you propose that this business owner store the vehicles? don't know if I have an answer for that. I mean, the, um, the, the big concern at Planning Commission was whether or not there would be any kind of junked or inoperable cars. Uh, and so if you look at the binding element that was proposed, uh, that's where a lot of the, um, you know, that they say that no, no, none of those types of vehicles shall be stored on there. Uh, and then the second part of that, vehicles are to remain on site, the, or vehicles that are to remain on site for longer than 24 hours after check-in shall be stored overnight within the repair bays. Uh, I, I don't, have an answer though for like potential overflow if they are dealing with that and then cars come in. I don't, I don't know what the answer would be for what that situation. What a junked car? Uh, an inoperable car. Like if my transmission goes out, then it's, it's inoperable and it gets towed. And then a, a junk car would be just like something that's crashed and. Uh, Do we have that, that defining one? We, we, we could, I, I, there may be some uh, language in, the, in metro ordinances that, that specifically define those types, but typically with the inoperable, you know, we're, um, you're talking about moving and then junked, it, it refers to like the, the title and things like that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilman Baker. Thank you, Ma Madam Chair. Um, <clears throat> to Councilman uh, Bashan's point, can you speak to the type of operations, um, like what, what type of auto repair would this company be doing? Um, for instance, if it's a tire shop, that's much different than a auto 
motive and transmission. I'm going through the the, uh, the documents, but I'm not not finding it. So I think it was like general over. repair. So like oil changes, tires, transmissions, and, and mechanical issues. Not necessarily body work. Um, that's not something. That if I recall from the testimony, that that isn't it's something that they really get into. It's more like your your operational type of repairs uh, that you think about, uh, and not like a, a, a service repair center that where you're fixing crashed vehicles and things like that. Thank you. I read something about uh, tires and a third party being called in for tire work. I'm trying to locate it again. I can't. Yeah, there was discussion about like tire storage on site and that, that's, that's where the third party conversation came in during the hearings, yes. Yeah, and I think there, and there's a time limit of 24 hours. Did I see that on, uh, on cars that are brought in? Right, yeah. That's yeah, right. on the revised general district development plan is that item number seven, there should be no outdoor storage. Um, I think it was um, County Attorney Laura Ferguson that added um, that information into the record. When I refreshed my screen, it still brought up Councilman Batchon. Still Sorry, yes, thank you, Madam Chair. And again, I'm not trying to be a nuisance of, of, of some sorts here. I just, I'm trying to really just lessen the burden on the developers, lessen the burden on the business owners, lessen the burden on everyone, all of you all, everybody at, at, at stake here. When you say 24 hours, who's maintaining that? Who's monitoring those 24 hours? Because it could take with the way shipping of parts and things are seven, eight, ten weeks behind. Who, who, you can't store a car with that needs a new transmission for 24, you, you, it only has to be there for 24 hours in that parking spot. Who's going to maintain and monitor that 24 hours so that car is being removed, then you're costing the owner of the vehicle additional tow bills, um, storage fees, etc. on that case. I don't, I don't know how we can really enforce a 24-hour limit to to that binding element there if we have nobody to enforce that. I mean, ultimately, the complaint would have to come from the public to 311, and then we, we can send out our enforcement officers to go and say, yeah, there's a car there, and then we can schedule another one 24 and a half hours later and go look again, and, and if that's the case, then they would be in violation of the binding element, and we could... Uh, discuss that with the property owner at that time. You see my point, though, where I'm kind of alluding to here that we just it continues to occur cost on top of cost on top of cost if we if we continue to just add these things on there. So I'm just trying to make sure we're we're lessening the burden on on our community as well as giving them what they need to to get everything taken care of. Brian, didn't you say there's nine bays? Yes. Nine. Are you, did they answer your question sufficiently? Okay. Councilwoman Chapel. Um, I love to see in those binding elements within 60 days that um, they'll construct two transit shelters um, on Hurstburn Parkway. I, I, I really, really love that. I'm just wondering um, who's going to make sure that that Right, so typically what we would do when we have a binding element like that is we flag it uh, so that once they 
completed construction and get their certificate of occupancy, then we can either check in to see if they're up. If not, then, then you have the 60-day count, and then we would go back out and inspect that again. If, if I might, real quick, uh, Travis, Assistant County Attorney. Brian, I think those are contained in the general binding elements as part of the broader Meyer development. Oh, is it so not part of the... Oh, okay, all right, yeah. So um, they, they may already know. be out there then, so if that's the case, if it's part of the general plan. At least I think it was, unless I misread it. Was, was there something in the... I, I'll check real quick. Um, but I think that's where it's located. Yeah, that's right, Travis. Yeah. Um, so those should have been constructed, hopefully, <laughs> years yeah. and years ago. And admittedly, this is not something that we uh, regularly get into in our sort of land use training, so maybe I'll give you all a very quick primer. Uh, occasionally, we do have these large sites um, that contain multiple lots that are all sort of part of a single broader development, um, and they get what's called uh, general and uh, detailed binding elements. So the general binding element, the general uh, detailed district development plan binding elements apply to sort of the entire broad development. So. This is Meyer and like four or five other lots. It's a strip mall. It's a bunch of different things. And uh, those apply to everything on site, regardless of which lot it's on. And then each individual lot gets its own specific binding elements. Um, so if you look in the, in the minutes, um, starting on page 17, those are the general plan binding elements. Those have been in existence for years. Um, those apply to, again, the Meyer and every, everything that's on this general sort of broader development. And then starting on page 20 are the uh, specific finding elements for this specific site uh, within the broader development. Um, again, these aren't, we don't see these everywhere. A lot of developments are entirely self-contained, but anytime you have a, a strip center, a mall, um, or some kind of anchor tenant that intentionally has multiple other businesses surrounding them, you might see this kind of general and uh, specific setup. You okay. They were in an attachment elsewhere that didn't have that I didn't see the set proceeding proceeding so to it. It's not normal that we get two sets of binding elements. So you, you know, your first look is let's look at the binding elements, and then you're like, oh. And, and sometimes we have a second set of binding elements that have been completely taken off because of of something at the planning commission level. On a, on, a re, on a redesign or something, so it's, it gets, this is unlikely. Yes. Okay. Uh, this <laughs> Thank is a, you. Thank actually, you. this is the first one I've seen in long time. It's probably been a while. Uh, there was one we dealt with recently with the uh, redesign at the corner of Shelbyville and, and Hearst and Parkway. I can't remember what the this sort of name is, but you know where the P.F. Chang's is, and there's like multiple residential pieces, and there was a grocery store. That whole structure redeveloped a couple years back, yes, and, um, and is I think in the process of sort of those being constructed, but the mall is another, but again, these aren't super common. Um, so I'll try to flag these in the future just so we have a heads up because they are a little bit unusual. No one else in the queue, so therefore I think we're ready to vote. Vice Chair Reed. Yes. Without objection, voting is closing, and there are seven yes votes, and that will go to O Business at our next council meeting. Moving on to item number five, 
an ordinance related to the zoning of property located at 10,001 Vista Hills Boulevard containing approximately 1.022 acres and being in Louisville Metro, case number 22, zone 0121. Motion approved. Second. Motion Properly moved by Councilman Engel and seconded by Councilman Reed. We're ready for discussion. Okay, this is Planning Commission docket number 22, zone 121 for Vista Hills subdivision. Uh, the property is located at 10,001 Vista Hills Boulevard. Uh, it's in uh, Metro Council District 22. Uh, so this is the subject site here outlined in red. Uh, there's an existing single family structure on the site. Uh, they are wishing to uh, add more single family structures. Uh, you can see uh, the Barstown Road located immediately to the, to the east. And then there's an R5 portion here, which will show it better on this map. But the R5 portion was previously rezoned uh, similarly from R RR to R5, uh, which is the request that uh, you are hearing today. Uh, so the request is to change the zoning from RR to R5. Uh, there was a Floyd Sport DRO review uh, to accompany the uh, subdivision plan. Uh, it is located in the neighborhood form district. Uh, they are proposing to uh, create four lots uh, with access coming from Vista Hills Boulevard. Uh, so this is the development plan that was provided by the applicant. Uh, the existing structure would, would remain on lot three, and then there would be three additional uh, new parcels where they would uh, propose, are proposing to construct single family structures on those lots. Uh, this is the uh, existing single family structure that will remain. Um, the applicant conducted their neighborhood meeting on August 22nd, 2022. The Land Development and Transportation me meeting was on uh, January 12th, 2023. Uh, no one spoke in opposition at the Planning Commission hearing on February 2nd, uh, and the Planning Commission's motion was to recommend approval of the change in zoning from RR to R5, and that passed by a vote of eight to zero. That's all that I have, unless you have any questions for me. Councilman Engel. Thank you, Madam Chair. This, uh, colleagues, as you can see by the aerial, uh, runs parallel with the Gene, or with uh, Bardstown Road, uh, or the Bardstown Parkway, actually. Uh, and so my question, one, one of my questions is when, when I see encroaching on the parkway buffer, that is very concerning to me uh, because I wrote, um, we, we, we dove into this many years ago along this, along this buffer. Uh, and or this parkway that was actually Bardstown Road and became Bardstown Parkway for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is to keep a very tight, uh, some, some tight ropes around developers um, encroaching into the buffer and, you know, um, developing uh, scattered development and, and such. Uh, I won't get too far into the, into the weeds here, but my question is, why are we encroaching on the parkway buffer uh, and who made that decision? Sure. So the, um, and if you pull the development back up, uh, the existing house slightly encroaches into it. Uh, the two southernmost properties, they do not, or they, they come into the, um, the parkway building setback, but not the parkway buffer. And so the only place you have the, the encroachment into the parkway buffer is on um, uh, proposed lot four. Uh, the existing garage, which is there, they're proposing to remove, but they would basically keep that, uh, the, the corner of the proposed house uh, in, in keeping with that uh, the uh, facade of the proposed garage that faces Barstown Road. Uh, the applicant did include a, a, a landscape exhibit. Um, they would still be providing the um, all the buffering materials uh, in that buffer, but again, you would have the house, it would sit back in that, that buffer area. And so that was 
um, part of their justification is that they could still provide the plantings that are required by the parkway buffer uh, and, and still have, but, but then have that, that this property itself go into uh, the buffer area. So they felt that, that between the, the shielding that they, would, that they would be providing with the, the buffering as well as the contour differences uh, there in that location that they uh, weren't you know, creating too much of a visual intrusion into the parkway. Uh, my my um, my concern has always been if this if we went down this path, which we just did, which we just are right now, voting eight to nothing in favor of this thing, is that we're setting a precedent, Madam Chair. And so I, I'm here to I'm here to propose in any way possible wording that states that this this is not precedent setting. It, it you know I for future developers for future development. This is not the open door to start encroaching on the parkway buffer that we wrote language for years ago for, for various reasons. And, um, you know, this is a very, this is a, I'm, I'm, I'm very particular about this particular area because this is, this is, this leads to the parklands, Broad, Broad Run Park, the parklands. And um, there's a lot of focus on making sure that this is a very, very well-designed uh, parkway uh, as development is starting to, very, very intense development is starting to happen, nice residential. So, uh, Travis, I don't know, I, I want some language in here potentially um, that we can support that states that this is not precedent setting and that it's not an open door for future residential and or commercial developers to come rolling in here trying to encroach on this buffer. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Travis Feaster, Assistant County Attorney. So uh, my general recommendation would be to add some, uh, some whereas clauses that follow basically what Brian just laid out, that this is a, you know, it's a, it's a long angled lot, so some of this land would be unusable. It's entirely contained within the buffer, that some of these structures are pre-existing, pre-existed the buffer, um, and that, um, you know, everything else that, that Brian talked about. So I, I think we can work on distilling that all down into language that makes it very clear to the current case, anyone who were to look up this case in the future, that this is a unique set of circumstances, that there are heavily additional plantings proposed, et cetera. So I, I think we can work out all that language. Um, it's up to you whether you'd like to, to table this and we can bring it forward to the next Tuesday or, or two Tuesdays from now. I guess, wait, is spring break coming up? I forget the calendar exactly. Um, uh, 21st at, at our next, next meeting. One. Yeah. Um, or we can, uh, I think that's something we could arrange between now and, and council and on Thursday, whatever your preference is. I'm good with voting it out tonight. If you can put those, that whereas together, we can, we can vote it on Thursday night. I'd be happy to. Thank you. I share your concern, Councilman Eagle, because we've done um, a good job of trying to protect areas. And then when we start waving it, I mean, but this is a special circumstance because it's basically one of the buildings is, it's, it's just there. It's just the, Very it's, true. the way it's gonna be angled from, from here on out, but yes. Very true, but everybody's development is special to them. <laughs> it's a special circumstance if I'm a developer and I want to get in. But I understand where we're coming. Thank you, just thought Ah, but we're, we, but we're all too wise to that, to that right? After, after all and, these years, Robin? Madam Chair, I must say that this committee my colleagues around here are unbelievable and they're asking great questions. So I don't even have to talk, but this was my development. So I had to, but this is a great committee. I'm excited for this planning and zoning committee. So they've got it right. Thank you. They're going to watch out for us. <laughs> and I am so glad we have so many people that were eager to serve on this committee this time. 
it's it's a great uh, it's a great thought, you know, to have that kind of support. Any other questions or comments about this development? And Travis will work on that language. So then I think we're ready to go ahead and vote. <clears throat> Vice Chair Reed. Yes. Without objection, voting is closing. There are seven yes votes, and this will go to O Business at our next meeting. Our next order of business is an ordinance relating to the zoning of properties located at 7717 and 7721 St. Andrews Church Road, containing approximately 1.97 acres and being a little metro case number 22, zone 0111. Motion. Second read. Properly moved by Councilman Batshawn and seconded by Councilman Baker. We're ready for discussion. Hey, this is Planning Commission docket number 22, zone 111 for Dollar General. Uh, the property is located at 7717 and 7721 St. Andrews Church Road, located in Metro Council District 25. <clears throat> so the uh, site is currently vacant. Uh, they are requesting a change in zoning to uh, provide a commercial uh, zoning on the property. Uh, you can see the property here located in, uh, at the intersection of St. Andrews Church Road and then Cardinal Oaks Drive. Uh, Cardinal Oaks Drive is a private road, uh, but uh, you can see they have the property outlined here. Uh, this is the uh, zoning for the uh, map of the area. Uh, so the uh, current zoning is R6. Uh, they are proposing to change that zoning. That's wrong. It should be CN, right? Sorry about that. Hang on. Yeah, CN, not UN. Sorry about that. Uh, so uh, proposing to change the zoning to uh, CN, uh, which, as you can see, the adjoining property is zone CN. Uh, you do have some commercial node as you go to the west uh, along St. Andrew's Church Road, uh, and then you have some R4 that surrounds the property as well. Uh, so the request is go from R6 to CN. Uh, previously, uh, this site was rezoned from R4 to R6. That was under docket 19, zone 1036. Uh, and there was a proposal for 24 multifamily units on this site. Uh, that never developed, uh, and so now the applicant's proposing a 10,000 square foot dollar general store for the site. Uh, this is the development plan. Uh, so you can see the uh, proposed store located here. Uh, the entrance will come off of St. Andrew's Church Road. Uh, there is no connection to Cardinal Oaks Drive uh, since it is a private road, so there is no um, entranceway coming to and from that uh, particular street. Uh, but you can see the, uh, the layout of, of the property, uh, the, uh, um, the building, uh, along with the uh, proposed parking. Uh, these were some of the renderings, renderings that were provided by the applicant at the Planning Commission hearing and with their application. Uh, this is a site photo, so this is looking from St. Andrew's Church Road into the site. Uh, and then some more surrounding area uh, photos. Again, you have the uh, elementary school and then Doss High School beyond that, which is located to the east. Uh, and then you can see the uh, undeveloped property, which is located uh, to the uh, west of the property uh, that has, uh, uh, our, which is across Cardinal Oaks Drive. Uh, and then this is a look at uh, St. Andrew's Church Road uh, across the street from the proposed development. Uh, here's a colorized rendering, uh, again, just to kind of give you an idea of where the uh, entrance comes in and off, uh, ingress and egress point comes from St. Andrew's Church Road. Uh, you have the building here. Uh, and then the, uh, the parking lot, uh, as well as the proposed sidewalk and a pedestrian connection that goes to Cardinal Oaks, but again, no vehicular connection to Cardinal Oaks Drive. Uh, so the applicant uh, had their neighborhood meeting on July 11, 2022. 
Land Development Transportation Committee meeting was on January 12, 2023. Uh, and then the Planning Commission public hearing was on February 2nd, 2023. Uh, we did have three people speak in opposition to the request at that hearing, uh, but the Planning Commission uh, made a motion to recommend approval of change in zoning from R6 to CN, and that passed by a vote of eight to zero. That's all that I have, unless you have any questions for me. I have a quick question for mm -hmm. uh, Travis. Um, Travis, especially looking over the binding elements where it, for hours of operations and no alcohol sales, um, and maybe we need to adapt the language. Can we add standard language that says if there's any change in the development plan or change in binding elements that it requires review by the Planning Commission and final approval by the Metro Council? We may need to modify that, may have to add it Thursday. Uh, I've got the standard language here, and right now, let me look at the plan real quick. I think all they're proposing is commercial and stuff. If this were a mixed-use site, we might need to sort of tweak it. Yeah. But um, I don't think, I mean, building height number of units in the building, all that should be. I don't think this one needs any sort of specialization beyond there. Um, so I'm happy to read that on the record if you'd like. Would you please? Sure. Uh, any significant increases to the pro structures, e.g. increases in building height, number of units, number of buildings, any increase in density on the property, any changes in use on the property, which directly or indirectly require public hearing before the Planning Commission or subcommittee thereof, and or any amendments to the binding elements other than I, the addition of new binding elements, 2I, changes to binding elements that merely update the public hearing date, or 3I, updating a previous version of this binding element to reflect the current language, shall be reviewed before the Planning Commission with final action to be determined by Metro Council. And I move that amendment. Second. Is that okay, Councilman? Yes, yes. So um, I have some questions on this, and I, I need to. Is it on the binding element? No. Okay, Sorry. can we go, go ahead. ahead and yeah. get that in the record real quick? All, since it's been um, properly moved in motion, so all those in favor of the binding element read by uh, Travis Feaster signify by saying aye. 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 Those opposed by like sign, hearing none, and that's binding element number 14, correct? Yes. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Thank you all. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thanks, Travis. Um, so this is in my district, and so I have some questions in regards to the private road. I have some questions in regards to the San Andrews Church Road future widening that I, I think there's taking place. Um, but no set dates in stone. So how does, first of all, there's gonna be additional traffic, trucks, things moving in and out of this facility um, on St. Andrew's Church Road. And it already does get backed up in that general area, um, especially around school time, um, when they stop at the light there at Palaka, so on. So why can we not move that private road into a city road and put an opening there for, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's probably 500 to a possible 1,000 residents in those apartments in that general area as well that would possibly be driving in and out to that Dollar General. So it would be very helpful for them to go in from the private road rather than going out onto St. Andrew's Church Road, possibly getting, unfortunately, into a car accident, then turning back into the, the, the Dollar General and, and vice versa. Um, just a thought there, um, in support of moving this forward and making this Dollar General happen, 
but I would like to see some some um, adjustments on that, as well as who's going to be responsible. Let's say the Dollar General is built. I know this is not a real number, but in the next 12 months, and then 18 months down the road, the state comes in and widens that road. Who's responsible for fixing the buffer that they just put up in the landscape there? Uh, so uh, I'll start with the, the road. Uh, so there, there is a, a, a process for public works evaluating private streets and determining whether or not it's something that they want to take on. Uh, so that that did not come up as part of this rezoning process, but if that was something that you wanted to initiate and explore, uh, you could reach out to Public Works to find out what information um, uh, is needed in order to move forward with that. Um, as far as the buffering requirements, uh, like you said, you know they are proposing buffering along St. Andrew's Church Road. I don't know for sure a time frame on that widening project. Was that what the state would, yeah, so, so uh, the state would be responsible for uh, replacing any landscaping and buffering that they remove as part of that widening project. And so that would be something that, that we would work with the state on to make sure that, hey, you know, this is what was there. Uh, we would catalog that, and then we would make sure that, uh, that it is replaced uh, should it be removed as part of that uh, process. Thank you. Um, so I'm having some thoughts, uh, Madam Chair, in regards to this. I think we should entertain the private road issue, um, and I don't know if we should maybe table this until we can discuss this with uh, Director Brown, or do we move it through? I'd, I'd hate for the developer to incur additional cost going back in and adding an entrance in the back way if they would like. Um, at a later date, if that was possible, if it if it works for them, but maybe the, it, the developer wants to speak on that as well too. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm just trying to to make it easy for them as well as the the customers that'll be frequenting there as well. So I think I can provide a little bit of context here. Admittedly, I don't know a tremendous amount about Cardinal Oaks Drive, um, but just based on the the map, it looks like there are about 28 structures. Uh, you know, southeast of this site. My suspicion is that they are the owners of this private drive, Cardinal Oaks Drive, and that either they were not interested in this uh, Dollar General having access or they couldn't reach agreements. Because if a commercial structure, if a commercial property is going to access a private drive, then they're going to want to work out some kind of agreement regarding maintenance um, because obviously that would be a significant increase in traffic over what these 28 houses would produce. Um, and so either they weren't coming to it, either they couldn't come to an agreement or the private property owners just didn't want it or, yeah, I, I don't know what those negotiations, those will all have occurred outside of our, our record. But in any case, um, I'm assuming that's why that was done here. I, obviously, we love seeing connections and, and public works and clergy those whenever possible. Um, but private streets are, you know, private and we, we can't sort of require uh, either those private owners to allow access from commercial developments or require the developer to go out and obtain access to something they don't have a right to obtain. I understand. So, so I guess that then being said, ahead, sorry. Uh, no, sorry, I apologize. So there, um, I don't think there's anything we could do binding element wise here that would grant them access. I mean, it's, it really is, it's owned by, again, I suspect it's those 28 individuals. I don't know that for a fact. I could try to find that out. So if you'd like more information, 
We can certainly continue it and that can have a more fleshed out sort of version of how this looks and why. Um, but ultimately, I don't think there's gonna be anything we can do via binding element to create that connection. Um, Brian, I'm having a little bit of trouble interpreting this development plan. It doesn't look like there, I mean, obviously there's not a stub, um, but in the south, um, are there some elevation change? I can't quite tell what this is intending to depict. So you've got, uh, yeah, so you have, uh, there's, a, there's a landscape buffer there uh, that goes along Cardinal Oaks Drive, but then at the rear, uh, like the, the south of the site, that's, that's where their retention uh, is taking place on the site. And so, uh, yeah, the reason for all those topography lines is because that's where uh, their, their stormwater is going to head and then, you know, eventually run off site. But uh, that, so that's probably not an opportunity to, if they were to reach an agreement with with, um, with the Cardinal Oaks folks, there probably couldn't be a stub through the rear of the property there. Right, no, it wouldn't happen at the rear and then up at the front of the site, I mean, it's so close to the intersection with St. Andrews, Andrews Church Road, you're not gonna get a good connection there either. Right, um, so, so that's an issue too. I mean, even if there were some sort of agreement, it would require a pretty significant rework, it looks like, of the current site design. Again, all that being said, I, I can attain some additional information if you'd want it, but I, I do want to set expectations that we're probably not going to be able to work out an agreement between this private property owner, or the private owners of Cardinal Oaks Drive and this developer all within the, the cycle of this rezoning case. With um, that being said, Travis, I would like to have some information on that just for educational purposes. Um, moving forward, with the San Andrews Church Road entrance, will there... I can't remember off the top of my head if that's that widened stretch there with that extra little turning lane, or is there going to be a turning lane added to get in and out of this property? Uh, they, this did not warrant a turning uh, turn lane off from St. Man St. Andrew's Church Road into the site. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilman Baker. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, my my question is. Does the developer have any plans on, uh, because as you mentioned, there are two, two schools, an elementary school and a high school. When I think of a Dollar General, you know, I'm thinking snacks and, and traffic flow. That's just the reality. Um, and keeping it a tree lane street and also um, the sidewalk from these images across the street, um, you know, how, what is the developer's plan on working with um, whether it be a community benefits agreement or any other uh, development on what that sidewalk traffic flow is going to look like. Because on the other side of this, on both sides, and, and I'm referring to both sides of, of the street as well. Because based on the pictures that I'm seeing, it doesn't, for an elementary school age child to, to go to Dollar General, it doesn't seem safe. And then with that, traffic flow on the corner of St. Andrew's Church Road. Uh, so so they do have the sidewalk that they are proposing along St. Andrew's Church Road. I can't remember if there's a, a gap between here and then the school entrances. Um, you know, if so, then that would likely be a good candidate to look at uh, in terms of like, you know, some sidewalk infill uh, 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 work there. Uh, I, I can't remember yeah, and what if you look at like the, the uh, site photos where it's the residential across St. Andrews mm -hmm. uh, Road, you know, On the there is, there, there's, a, there's a ditch, and there is what looks like to the left in the corner. It is a small sidewalk, but it's, it's not, you know, 
when we talk about increased traffic flow, um, that can be a real concern mm -hmm. in that intersection. Now, I don't know how <coughs> close that picture is. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's across the street. Right. Um, and then also looking at the other, um, the other sites, you know, what is their tree line going to look like? And then also the widening of that sidewalk. That looks very, very narrow mm -hmm. um, for, and again, for high schoolers and you said Toronto Elementary. Yeah, Toronto Elementary. Yeah, yeah. On, on the north side of the of the road, I mean, they, you know, they since it's not part of the of the development frontage, then we wouldn't uh, typically require sidewalks to be across the street. Now, I, gotcha. with with the you know with the state road improvement project, though, uh -huh. as that comes through, then sidewalks uh, have to be in, incorporated, and then you know they they evaluate that later on. Uh, but typically, those would be incorporated there because, like you said, there is a ditch that runs along the north side. Uh, yeah, and you would have, you know, essentially students in backpacks, right? Mm -hmm, right. Of various ages um, from, you know, um, third graders to essentially to seniors in high school mm -hmm. walking along that road. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, um, you know, my, my concern is just kids going after school sure. to get, you know, you know some uh, cost-effective snacks mm -hmm. Or a Gatorade before a game, and um, getting hit on a heavily traffic intersection, um, and so, and then also, what does that tree line look like for um, um, on their proposal? It, it just wasn't clear to me. I don't know if those are shrubs, bushes, or or what, as it relates to our tree canopy. Right. But those two issues, really, from a public safety standpoint, and um, I think that's kind of what uh, my colleague Councilman Bashan was coming from the standpoint of closing that, that interest for public safety. Um, but just, I, I don't want students there traveling there and, and someone get hurt. I don't have a tremendous amount to add here other than that it looks like there is a, an existing uh, continuous sidewalk between the property and the entrance to uh, both is it Trunnell, Trunnell, um, Trunnell and Doss. So it, it looks like, yes, so they shouldn't have to cross the street. It looks like it might be, I mean, it's a Google area. It looks like some of the sidewalk on this property might be a little bit broken up at the moment, but they should have to, to clean that up as part of this. Um, to the, so it doesn't look like they would need to cross the, sh the street at any point. And because this development's on the north side of Cardinal Oaks, they wouldn't need to cross that private drive either. Um, the only thing that's in between, I, I don't know what it is. There's some structure uh, in front of uh, Trunnell. It looks like a, a garage or something. I don't know if it's part of the school. I don't know what that is. But that's the only right. piece where they wouldn't be on sidewalk. They need to cross some kind of blacktop for what looks like a, a driveway. Maybe I can't quite tell. And, and with the road and with the road widening project, when that comes through, the, there will be a sidewalk on the north side of St. Andrew's Church as part of that. But then also they're they're proposing to expand. Uh, the side the the sidewalk along the south side to a 10-foot multi-use path so okay. as as that project moves forward then you'll see significant pedestrian and, and bicycle facilities increase on the south side especially thank you mm -hmm. councilwoman Rui. okay thank you uh, i was looking at the comments from the neighbors and there was real concern about flooding 
So can you speak to what they're doing to control the uh, water since we're going to increased, um, um, increased build? Sure, so the, uh, uh, here on the south, we did talk about the detention basin that's being proposed on the site. Uh, with any new development in this area, they are required to uh, detain at a 1.5 to one ratio, so they would actually be detention, uh, detaining uh, at, at a higher rate than what is currently be, uh, flowing off of that site. Uh, and so the, the facilities that have been placed were reviewed and approved, uh, preliminary, preliminarily approved by MSD uh, with, the, with this uh, development plan. Councilman Reed. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, and Travis sort of assuaged some of my uh, comments about the, the private roads. Um, and I had a question, how, how long do we have before we, when does the 90 day uh, expire on this and how long do we have before we really need to make a decision? So May 2nd. Okay, so we have the spring break. Will we have another meeting between the, uh, now? I think we'll have one more meeting between now and then, correct? We have a meeting on the 21st and then another meeting on April 18th, I think. Um, to Councilman Batshawn's uh, concern uh, with regard to uh, the private roads, which, you know, you've, you've explained, and, you know, we don't want to get into the business too much of uh, forcing ourselves on private uh, property, however, I do believe that it begs the question, and maybe he could do some research if he wants, to to see if, if there's any interest with regard to making that uh, private road part of a metro road or whatever, and also give him an opportunity uh, to talk to Public Works about uh, their plans for sidewalks uh, to Councilman Baker's concern moving forward. So uh, I think if we have some time, uh, since there appears to be some um, concern about safety and concern about uh, accessibility that maybe we should go ahead and table this. Councilman Batshawn. Uh, I'm not gonna make a motion to table. I'm sorry. I can make a motion to table. No, I'm just, that's yeah, okay. I would, I would be willing to do that, to educate ourselves and move forward. Um, but for the record, I'm supportive of the project. I just wanna make sure we are covering all the bases as far as safety and, and all the aspects of the development around it. We have a motion to table. Motion second. to table. Oh, no, second. second. Second, sorry. Properly moved by Councilman Batshawn, seconded by Councilman Baker. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Those opposed by like sign, seeing none, the motion passes. That moves us to item number seven. I will be pulling my sponsorship from item number seven only since I have a concerned attorney in the uh, in the gallery. I will be pulling my sponsorship today. However, we'll be reintroducing it with all the changes that have been sent out to all the um, uh, folks who are interested in, in out in the sector. Uh, so um, if if you'll pay attention when that comes down, because Laura Ferguson has worked on. Um, some amendments to it to, made, to make it a little bit more clearer to the outside developing world uh, what we are asking for and it does not pay, place a burden on planning and design. It will come down to uh, OMB, the Revenue Commission and property tax information and they will uh, supply the planning to design a certificate from those three agencies showing that they do not owe the city, city any money. Uh, before they are giving a public hearing 
update on their development rather than just saying that it's blanket that they have to do it before they can start the process. They can start the process, but they're not going to be given a public hearing until um, those things are either they have a certificate saying they owe us nothing or they have become square with the city of Louisville. So it is coming again, but just be a cleaner version than keep amending and amending. Okay, that's for the record. Brings us to item number 12, which is an ordinance relating to the closure of a portion of East Washington Street adjacent to I-64 East Ramp containing approximately 0.08 acres and being in Louisville Met Metro case number street closure 0023. I need a motion. Motion approved. Probably moved by Councilman Ingalls, second by Councilman Baker. We're ready for discussion. This is Planning Commission docket number 22, uh, street closure 23 uh, for East Washington Street. Uh, the, uh, the address for the properties that abut the right of way are 1530 and 1535 East Washington Street. Uh, they are located in Metro Council District 4. <clears throat> uh, so the, the little red triangle that you see here, um, that is the right of way. Uh, that is uh, being proposed for closure uh, at this time. As you can see, this is uh, in the location where East Washington Street terminates into the I-64 uh, right-of-way. Uh, so the applicant is requesting a closure of the public right-of-way. Uh, the closure is approximately 95 feet long, uh, and it's at the uh, terminus of East Washington Street. Uh, the area of that's about 2,820 square feet. Uh, the applicant owns all properties adjacent to the portion of the right-of-way to be closed. Uh, and then this was uh, related to a Category 2B plan that uh, has been reviewed by Planning and Design Services. <clears throat> so this is a look at the um, area in question. You can see uh, their um, property to one side of East Washington Street has a, a building that is constructed. Uh, you have, uh, you know, basically the road just kind of terminates there at the interstate. Uh, so that gives you an idea of what it looks like. Uh, this is the um, closure plat that was provided by the applicant as part of their application. Uh, so again, uh, the applicant owns on both sides of the street, and then this would uh, close that portion uh, of the right-of-way. Uh, the Land Development and Transportation Committee uh, had their meeting on January 26, 2023 regarding this request, uh, and then the Planning Commission conducted a public hearing on February 2nd. No one spoke in opposition, uh, and the motion was to recommend approval of the closure by a vote of 8-0. to zero. That's all that I have. Let's have any questions. Councilman Batshong. Thank you, Madam Chair. I promise I'll keep this one short. Um, when the road is closed like this, at the end of the day, who owns that piece of land? Uh, well, in this situation, since the property owner owns both sides, they would, uh, they would take over ownership of that closed area. And what can they do with that? Land. So it would assume the zoning of the parcels. Uh, it is all easy one, so it would it would be uh, the zoning would be easy one, so they would be permitted to conduct any use uh, that is permitted within that zoning district. So, thank you, Martin. I just wanted to get clarification because I, sure. I didn't know. Yeah, no, no, no problem at all. Any other questions? Uh, Comments. Oh, oh. We're ready to vote. Uh, um, oh, I, I was just, sorry, I was wondering if um, Councilman Arthur had any comments regarding this. 
he didn't contact my office about this one specifically. We had a discussion about um, the one previously about what happens to the right-of-way, like uh, if there's four people on it, what happens all four of those people get that extra little piece of property. If it's just one owner, then it's just that one owner. Um, the, and he understood it, and he said, oh, he didn't know. And he didn't know um, if we notified tiers down the down the road or you know next to those properties and they don't have any use for that particular right away so that no one's notified except for the adjoining property owners who that would affect so but no um, I sent out the standard email and we did not hear back from him any more questions or comments seeing none we're ready to vote Vice Chair Reed. Yes. Without objection, the voting is closing. There are seven yes votes. And this will go to the consent calendar at the next meeting. Moving right along, we're going to our discussion phase of, uh, of this meeting. And I would like to ask Councilman Reed, can you take over the committee for a few minutes for me, please? I'm sorry, my uh, volume was down. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, we have uh, Council or uh, uh, Director uh, Lou in again for a special discussion. And I was not at the last meeting at the end of the discussion, so I'm not sure how it was left off. So if you'd like to take it from this point. Julia Williams with Planning and Design Services. I do. Uh, so this is a similar presentation that we've given for our land development code uh, reform and uh, regarding process and education. So the first part I'm gonna talk about like, zoning in general and, and then move into um, notification and, and other education. Uh, so the first part is what is zoning? So a lot of you are new to the, uh, this committee. So zoning is a method in which each parcel of land within a city is designated a zone, uh, which determines what's, what the land could be used for, as well as ensure compatibility with surrounding parcels. Uh, so Jefferson County, we have a zoning district map, and we use uh, logic.org kind of holds that information. Uh, so the zoning district map is a set of regulations um, it, governing permitted land use, density, and intensity of development. Uh, so we use the land development code to um, regulate land use. So our land development code is a set of land use and design rules that regulates development and what can be done on a private property. Uh, so we have two tiered zoning. We have zoning districts and we have form districts. Uh, so an area with distinct boundaries delineated on the zoning district map to which a set of regulations governing the pattern and form of development and redevelopment applies. So uh, zoning districts are divided. We've got residential and non-residential. So we've you know, single family, multifamily, and then office residential districts. And our non-residential are where you find commercial districts, manufacturing and industrial, and multi-purpose districts. Uh, so this is uh, a very detailed map of the zoning districts in Jefferson County. 
Um, and then also we uh, look at the second tier, which is form districts. So form districts uh, regulate the building and site design. So you have zoning that regulates land use, and then you have form district that regulates design. Uh, so we've got 12 form districts right now. We've got traditional and suburban. Uh, traditional forms are like downtown, traditional marketplace, village center, workplace, traditional neighborhood, and town center. And then suburban is regional center, suburban marketplace, village outlying, suburban workplace, neighborhood, and campus. So in the traditional form districts, uh, you generally, the buildings are located closer to the road. You've got parking behind the building or parallel parking in front along the street. Uh, the street's in a grid pattern. You've got alleys and sidewalks. Uh, you've got those narrow residential lots and then uh, non-residential uses at those street corners, uh, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with in your own neighborhoods. Uh, and then suburban areas, the buildings are set back from the road. Parking's usually in front of the building. And then you have these larger residential lots. Uh, there's less transit and pedestrian oriented than what you find in traditional forms uh, and mainly auto oriented. Uh, so this is a detailed map of our form districts. And then uh, we also use Plan 2040. Um, so uh, Plan 2040 recommended the addition of two um, form districts that uh, will be coming your way at some point in time in the future, but those are urban center neighborhood and, and a conservation neighborhood form district. Uh, so also the land development code uh, guides us with uh, regulations regarding street design and access standards. So we have uh, access management, street design, and how you name streets, uh, how you close streets, as was mentioned earlier, uh, transit and uh, some transit guidelines, uh, traffic and air quality assessment. So this is where your traffic impact studies would come in. Uh, and then the Land Development Code also discusses landscaping and tree canopy. Uh, it guides uh, or has regulations regarding landscape design, uh, the tree canopy requirements, uh, as mentioned earlier, parkways and scenic corridor requirements, as well as uh, any uh, streetscape master plans are incorporated into the Land Development Code. So there's also other standards like subdivision regulations, sign regulations, parking regulations, and uh, the, finally with uh, the procedures that we follow uh, as planning and design services when we're reviewing development plans. So I wanted to take a break in there just so you could ask any questions if you'd like uh, before I get into the second half, which really kind of goes into how uh, citizens find information, what notification looks like, and some of our uh, tools that we uh, give uh, to the public and how uh, you all can find information. So if you have any real like questions on zoning, I'm here to answer them. I, I don't know who else, I don't, I, there, I don't know how this works. So if somebody calls on somebody. Uh, I am virtual, so I can't see the, the, the board there. So if somebody needs to uh, uh, to pipe in, just let me know. Yeah, I'm gonna, if that's okay, uh, uh, Councilman Reed, I'm going to ask a quick question. I'm a badge on. The floor is yours. Thank you. Um, thank you. Sorry. Um, just a quick question. Um, all very useful information. Is there a way we can get a copy of that for my office? 
um, especially the one where the slide where it showed the difference between the urban uh, developments or the residential and the mm -hmm. commercial and, and so on. So I'd love to have that information for my office so we can reference back to. Yes, and I'm gonna give you a whole bunch of information that your office is gonna wanna have as well. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? That's the only person in the queue, sir. All right. Is that the end, is that the end of our presentation? Yes, no, sir. I got a second half. <laughs> Go for it. So this is the really good information right here that you'll use. Uh, not that you wouldn't use zoning, but so uh, in general, we've you know we've got a, a planning and design. Uh, we've got the board of zoning adjustment, planning commission, development review review committee, and so this is just an overview. Uh, the Board of Zoning Adjustment hears conditional use permits. So, uh, you know, your, a lot of your constituents might talk about short-term rentals. Uh, uh, we also have conditional use permits for outdoor alcohol sales and consumption and daycares. Uh, they also hear variances, uh, typically like fence heights, building heights, building and setbacks. Those are some general, uh, general thing, uh, developments that the Board of Zoning Adjustment would hear. And so there's a process for the conditional use permit. It starts with a pre-application. Uh, there's agency review, neighborhood meetings. Uh, then they formally file the application. And then there's more agency review. And then once that plan is uh, ready for a public hearing, then, then they, BOZA, uh, the Board of Zoning Adjustment, holds a public hearing in which they have final action on that conditional use permit. Uh, so the variance process is, is somewhat similar. Uh, there's an application submitted, there's agency review, and then once that application is ready, you'll, uh, it will go to the uh, Board of Zoning Adjustment for a public hearing in which they'll have final action on that variance. Uh, so the Planning Commission uh, has a couple of different committees. There's the Development Review Committee and the Land Development and Transportation Committee. Uh, so the types of cases that the Planning Commission hears are zoning changes, plan certain development plans, and subdivisions. So the zoning process, in, so included in some of this information, we have a one-page uh, sheet that we give out to uh, applicants and citizens that describe this process, hopefully a little bit more friendly. <laughs> but uh, the zoning process starts out with a pre-application. So when, they, when an applicant submits a pre-application, uh, there's agency review and then, the, then a neighborhood meeting. Uh, after they have the neighborhood meeting, they can formally file that uh, application for a change in zoning. Again, it's gonna go through some agency review. And then once that application is ready uh, for its first public meeting, it goes to the Land Development and Transportation Committee. Uh, at, that meeting, at that committee, they discuss things like transportation, landscaping, drainage, uh, the building design, uh, and then that committee determines whether that application is ready for a public hearing, and they schedule the public hearing date for the Planning Commission. Uh, so when it gets to Planning Commission, the application gets to Planning Commission, uh, the Planning Commission hears the case and makes a recommendation to the legislative body. So you hear those cases as Metro Council, but then there's all those six class cities like Jefferson Town and St. Matthews, they also hear those zoning cases as well. So the legislative body has final action on, uh, the, on zoning cases. 
So in a nutshell, that's the zoning process. <laughs> Takes six to nine months in general. Um, so there's also the development plan and subdivision process that the Planning Commission uh, follows. So with development plans and subdivision plans, we receive the application as planning and design. Uh, we go through rounds of agency review, and then once it's determined that the application is ready uh, for a public meeting, we schedule it either for land development and transportation or the development review committee. And those committees have final action on uh, the plan, certain development plans and the subdivisions. There's also legislative review of development plans. So you've received these a couple times. Uh, recently, you've been adding a binding element uh, that uh, makes a lot of development plans come back. But there's actually a process in the Land Development Code uh, that describes the legislative review process. So the legislative review process can be initiated by Metro Council, or the specific council person for that district, or it can be initiated by an interested party. So if it follows the Metro Council route, uh, a resolution, th there's 45 days of the Planning Commission action for a resolution to uh, be brought forth. Uh, so the resolution would go to the applicant, the property owner, and to the Planning Commission. Uh, so uh, the resolution would also give notice uh, to where Metro Council would send a letter to the Planning Commission, speakers at the public hearing, first and second tier adjacent property owners, uh, the registered groups in the listserv, and then uh, the current residents, which would uh, be your multifamily um, uh, developments. So all of these people would send notice that there's been a resolution uh, to look at uh, this, this development plan, this legislative review of the development plan. So Metro Council has two options. They can hold a public hearing and they follow established legislative procedures for having that public hearing. Or Metro Council could not hold the public hearing and then they could just take action by relying on uh, the record of the Planning Commission, similar to what you do with zoning cases. So uh, there is legislative review of development plans um, outside of adding a binding element. Uh, so another part of uh, looking at these development plans is a determination of a ministerial review and a discretionary review. So ministerial reviews are category three development plans and subdivision plans. So these are, these are sites and uh, properties that are already zoned uh, before zoning, uh, before 1975, uh, before we had uh, our you know, land development codes. Uh, so these are what we call pre-plan certain developments. They're already zoned for that use. Properties already zone R6 and R4. That's a ministerial review. Uh, discretionary reviews are changes in zoning, uh, plans, certain development plans, waivers, anything where uh, we're looking for mitigation for uh, the, any kind of request. So there's a difference between you know, a subdivision and a category three where it's already zoned for that use and something that underwent a zoning change, which is discretionary. So another uh, big portion of how planning and design operates is trying to get citizens involved and get information out to citizens. So uh, we encourage citizens to attend neighborhood meetings before a zoning change. 
uh, sign up for the neighborhood notifications that listserv, uh, use the resources to educate themselves, the website, and then to contact the case manager and attend those public meetings. So there's a timeline of citizen involvement. So uh, the pre-application, attend that neighborhood meeting, and it, the pre-application occurs sometimes between the pre-application and the formal. And then to also uh, attend that land development and transportation committee and planning commission meeting. Uh, so uh, we talked a little bit earlier, you all had a discussion about noticing. So notices are sent by email and by the postal service. So they're sent prior to a neighborhood meeting, prior to LDNT, and prior to the planning commission. And those are, those are the postcard notices that, that get sent. Um, so notices are sent to first and second tier adjacent property owners and current residences. This map here uh, shows you uh, the site is indicated here in yellow. First tier is anyone that is directly adjacent to that site and across the street. And then second tier is gonna be here in blue, which is anyone adjacent within 500 feet of that first tier. Uh, and then we also send out notices via Gov Delivery and uh, staff, planning and design staff case manager is also supposed to receive that notice as well. So for zoning cases, a uh, sign is posted on the property. And so you've got this big red sign that some of you may see in your areas uh, for a zoning change. Uh, there's also a big red sign for board of zoning adjustment as well. Uh, but then also legal ad is required to be posted in the Courier Journal. And this is kind of a sample of what that looks like. And that legal ad is posted prior to the Planning Commission. Uh, so this is what our postcard notice looks like for a public hearing. You may be familiar with this. And then we have neighborhood notification. Uh, so what this does is, uh, this is a, a really simple way to sign up for, uh, for to getting electronic notices. And um, I'm gonna save you all some minutes here by not showing you how to do this, but because I do have a flyer that indicates how to do this. And I encourage you to use that flyer and send it out in your newsletters uh, to encourage everyone to sign up for uh, these uh, neighborhood meetings. This is, this is what you should include in here, in your present, in your newsletters. Uh, it gives a very detailed, um, idea of what you should, uh, what your constituents should sign up for. Uh, let's see. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me go back to full screen. Okay, so that's neighborhood notification. Um, and then part of that neighborhood notification is signing up to receive our weekly activity report. So our weekly activity report becomes really important because it gives everyone um, an idea of what's going on, new developments that have uh, been received in your neighborhood. So uh, someone who gets the weekly activity report can click on a case number and it's gonna take them to Excella. So Excella is our business portal. It's gonna take them to that case and they're gonna be able to find out anything that has been submitted for this case. So you can look under record information, under attachments, it usually takes a second. Uh, but then you see everything that the applicant has submitted for this particular case. 
So, and you know, this one was quite a large case, so it has a couple of different pages, but this is everything that the applicant submits. And we do this for transparency, uh, to just get this information out to the public as soon as we can. So as soon as that document is scanned, it is uploaded to, this, uh, to the case number and in this portal. And so you can click on any of these documents and they pull them up as a PDF. So this is so that uh, that page brought you to the Excella um, information uh, portal. So planning is is where you would find all this information. The weekly activity report is also uh, lists all the council districts. So if you got that email, you can just look and see what immediately was entered, uh, what's going on in your council district. Uh, so we also post on Legistar. Uh, which you're familiar with. We post our staff reports, the plans, all of that uh, is available to the public to see uh, through the Legistar um, address. And then um, also the planning and design website. So this is a host of information that has everything to do with everything we do here at planning and design. Uh, and then also for citizens and for applicants, uh, we have developed a user guide. And so that user guide goes through a couple of different processes. Uh, what is staff approvable? What are those uh, ministerial reviews? Uh, what are the committee approved processes? So like zone changes in zoning, uh, subdivisions, uh, anything that has to be approved by a committee. Um, the, Board of Zoning Adjustment Process for Conditional Use Permits and Variances, and then the Zoning Change Process. Uh, we also cover landmarks and all the design overlays, uh, non-conforming rights and appeals, all of that. Uh, but there's also a resident user guide and the Zoning Change User Guide. And uh, we uh, send this, all, we, we like to communicate with our citizens to, say, to have them look at this so they can see how they can be involved in the process. And then logic. So hopefully you all are all familiar with logic. So I wasn't going to click on the map, but but logic holds the uh, all the zoning map amendments, and uh, where uh, all our mapping is located. And uh, you use you would use logic to uh, find a zoning for a site, and uh, to find out some basic information about environmental constraints, uh, fire districts, and that type of thing. So that was my last slide. So are there any questions about how to get information? Councilman Ingle. Thank you, Madam Chair. Very, very <coughs> informative um, presentation. I know I've, I've, I've been at this thing for a little while, but uh, it's always good to get a refresher. Um, is that me? Uh, got a couple of computers going on here, but uh, let me move this away. Uh, it wasn't me, I don't think. Um, but one of the challenging parts and something that sort of has evolved over time, uh, over the years at least, is the interpretation of what we as council members, the communication line, uh, might, I'm gonna ask the staff or maybe Travis Feaster to share. You know, we sometimes are anxious to jump into these, these, these zoning changes, okay, zoning, because they're dear, dear to us, because we're responsible 
a certain extent because they're in our district and, and our districts are all important to us. But colleagues, we, we, we have to be very cautious and I, I wanna ask for clarification because over time, um, you know, we, we have a vote on all these. Every count when these zoning changes come through and we have a vote and what we don't want to do is prejudice our vote because we have communicated to a particular level that we either accident, perhaps accidentally, inadvertently, whatever the case may be. I know we learned early on that we have to be very cautious on, for example, speaking directly to a developer, correct, once it's reached a pre-application stage, I think, or an application stage. Travis, could you address perhaps, you know, where we are, there, there, there was state, this thing went to, I believe, to the, uh, to the courts uh, at one point, I think, through, the, through these last 20 years of merger as to what exactly our role are, is uh, legally with regard to these zoning changes. Could you maybe touch on a few, few of these points? Be happy to. Uh, Travis Feaster, Assistant County Attorney, again. Um, so there's a couple things. One is that there is not a, um, a bright line rule here. There's not a specific word or a set of words or a statement that will automatically get you in trouble, automatically mean a case needs to be thrown out or your vote needs to be discounted or anything like that. Um, it, it's all a sort of, much like zoning cases themselves, it's, it's facts and circumstances. Um, the county attorney's advice has consistently been that the best thing you all can do is be as minimally involved in the process before it's your time as possible. Um, and so that really starts at the pre-application phase. You might have properties in your, um, in your district that have not been developed for years and some developer calls you up and says, hey, you know, I'm thinking about maybe doing something here. Can we sit down and have a chat about what kind of projects you might like? Those sort of theoretical conversations are fine. Um, but once they have, you know, gotten to the pre-app stage, they're looking at a sort of more specific project. At that point, um, you also really take a step back and let the process play out. Um, now, that doesn't mean you won't get communications. Developers may reach out to you. Citizens may reach out to you. Um, and the best thing to do in those cases is to refer those comments to planning and design services. Um, as Julia went over, uh, the case managers are um, available. You can send them by email. You can um, you know, have people give verbal comments. You can tell them the date and time of the public hearings. Um, there are all sorts of possibilities and times for the public to participate. Um, and you all aren't the repository of that information. For the purposes of assembling the record for the eventual decision, it needs to all go to the planning commission uh, for their hearing. So if you receive those about, you know, sort of active project that's working its way through the process, um, and typically uh, pre-app, you're not necessarily gonna get automatic notice of unless you're really paying very, very close attention to all the filings over planning and design. But neighborhood meetings, once you start hearing that kind of talk, that means a pre-app's already occurred. And uh, probably the first stage you all would really be potentially aware. Um, as the process moves forward, again, if you receive communications, the best thing to do is refer them on um, to make sure they're incorporated into the record. And then once the Planning Commission has issued a decision, um, once they have you know, given us a recommendation, uh, at that point the public hearing is closed. And we'll have a bundle of documents, um, images, and, and uh, staff reports, and site maps, and plans, and citizen comments, and video recordings and all sorts of information. Uh, and that is really what the record is. From, from the moment that pre-app opens to the moment the planning commission says, all right, the public hearing is closed, all that information is what gets sent to us in these attachments. 
um, that we see in planning and zoning committee every other, every other week. Uh, and so once you have that information in front of you, that's the information for you to base your decision on. Um, it's not now time to go talk to the developer that's been waiting to talk to you the whole time. No, they should have made their case in front of the planning commission, in front of the public. Um, it's not now time to go talk to your neighborhood meetings that you've been waiting on. It, any additional information that comes in outside of that record that's been established is potentially grounds for some sort of uh, appeal and whether that could be striking out a vote or sending a case back down for us to rehear or meaning the planning commission's recommendation is put into place. It, it really depends on the facts and circumstances. Um, but you don't want to go outside the bounds of that that established record. Um, it is dangerous to do so for the sake of, not dangerous, you know, physically dangerous, but dangerous as far as the, the validity of the appeal and the validity of our decision-making process. Um, so avoid that as much as possible. Uh, if you have questions or concerns, you can always reach out to myself or Laura or Holly, anyone at the county attorney's office um, for specific advice. But once that process is finished, once we've come in front of council, obviously once we get to the, to the committee stage, um, you're welcome to say your piece, whether you like the project, whether you don't, what you like about it, what you dislike. At that point, it's time for you to make your comment because that's, that's the whole purpose of this process. Um, so once we get to the Planning and Zoning Committee, um, you're welcome to obviously comment and let your, let your voice and opinions be heard based on the record that's been established. Um, and again, if you want to overturn a Planning Commission case, please reach out to myself or Laura early. We can work on those. Those require findings of fact. You can't just say no like you can in any other council. Uh, council matter more or less um, so we are unique in that aspect as well um, and then once a case is concluded once council has taken final action you're welcome to continue speaking if you'd like um, if you if you want to take an interview or what have you on a project and why you voted for it or voted against it you can um, again if you have concerns you're always welcome to reach out to us but once the once your all's chance for a decision is passed you're no longer under that same level of concern I think that probably covered your question. It might be more than what you wanted, but if you have anything else, I'm happy to. No, no I, there's other questions, but just real quickly, the neighborhood meeting, okay? So we're, we're, you know, developers out there, neighbors are out there. What's the role of the, what would be the role of the council member as far as speaking at that neighborhood meeting? Uh, again, our general advice would be don't. Um, if you want to say anything, say, hey, I'm the council person. I'm here to just watch and observe. Um, you know, my time to, to speak on this is, is later. Um, you don't want one to, of, one of the concerns in the, in the case law is um, the idea of someone sort of prejudging a case. Uh, so what you don't want to do is show up at a neighborhood meeting and say, I love this case. This is my favorite developer. He's a real good friend of mine. I can't wait for this to be built. Or I hate this case. I've got a long running blood feud with this developer and no matter what this man proposes, I will vote against it. Uh, those are at the extreme ends of things. but. Uh, Really, you just you don't want to wade into those waters um, because you don't want someone to claim you were biased one way or the other. You don't want someone to claim that you made your decision based on your initial preconceptions and not the record that's been established. Thank you. Um, we really don't have time for any more questions. There, we're like two minutes till, and they're already plugging in for the next committee that needs to plug in for their meeting. So could uh, Councilwoman Rui and Councilman Reed, can you hold your questions till the next uh, committee meeting? Because we're going to continue this until... Everyone's comfortable. Thumbs up, Councilwoman? Okay, thank you. Without objection then, this um, committee shall end until we meet in two more weeks. Thank you.